is the House of Mercy Advent Podcast. We've asked writers and musicians from our community to reflect, waiting for the world to begin again. In week one, we're going to hear from Neil Bernards, Nathan Roberts, and a song by Jeff Zupfer. The holidays are a perennial invitation to revisit our old relationships. Some days we will see smiles and laugh with people who are such a balm in a difficult year. But other days we'll be face to digital face with family members who make our blood boil. For many of us, this might even reopen old religious and emotional trauma. Maybe you're already starting to get anxious and jittery, going back and forth about how much to say, what fights to fight, what to do when they throw out a hot take they had read on bigotry.com. Because if you found your way to the House of Mercy, I have a sneaking suspicion you grew up in a very different kind of faith than you ended up in. I can't tell you how to navigate your family, but I can offer you the story of the first time Jesus went home after getting radicalized with a wildly progressive vision for his community. When Jesus turned 30, he had an identity crisis. So he spent a month hiking and doing a water-only cleanse through the desert. Forty days under the Middle Eastern sun, stubbing his toes on rocks and sleeping on cold sand, Jesus wrestled with his demons to get his head and heart right. Out in the sand and rocks, Jesus met the devil, who was basically an evil guidance counselor Well, Jesus, you have quite an impressive resume, son of God, and you can do miracles. So let's see, you could be king of Israel or high priest or a famous skydiver. But Jesus isn't interested in being rich or powerful or famous. He then spends a few weeks with his anarchist cousin, John, who is currently running a vegan commune out in the desert, focusing on minimalism and radical social equality. After getting baptized, Jesus starts his own people-powered revolution. He's calling it the kingdom of God. Jesus wants to take the power back from the fat cats in the capital cities and give it to the people. He wants to call it hypocrisy among the religious leaders. He wants to bring free health care and daily bread, a low-key universal basic income to every person. He wants to free all the incarcerated people. He wants to show people that divinity doesn't live in expensive temples. Divinity lives inside the human heart. This new kingdom of God is going to be a small group of radical young people preaching good news on the streets of Israel and beyond. It's a big new direction for his life. And like so many of us, he goes home excited to tell his family. He checks in at his mom's house in a small working-class town of Nazareth. I imagine Mary was excited for him. Mary had her own radical vision of tearing down the rulers and oppressors and lifting up the poor and healing the sick. Mary's most famous poem says, God has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty-handed. Jesus had probably heard her singing this as a radical lullaby before bed. 
The first Sabbath back in town, Jesus is asked to be the guest preacher. This is when it all goes so, so wrong. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. Luke 4, 16. I don't know who was listening to his sermon that Sabbath day, but I imagine that the synagogue was filled with his parents' friends, the people who had changed his diaper, his old school teachers, the shopkeepers, the people Jesus grew up with. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read the scripture for the day. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Luke four sixteen through 20 At first the town just stares at him. Then someone shouts, Isn't this Joseph the carpenter's son? Some people are liking what they're hearing. Free health care. No more prisoners to pay for. But they want to know if he's planning on bringing all this great stuff to their small town in Nazareth. Is Jesus going to put Nazareth first? That's when Jesus explains that the kingdom of God is a movement for everyone. He's inviting the non-Jewish people, immigrants, women, children, people from other countries. This is when you see the demons of nativism, bigotry, and xenophobia raise up in Jesus' hometown. Because Jesus' childhood friends try to straight up murder him. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. But Jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Luke 4, 28-30 I don't know how Jesus got away from that lynch mob on the edge of a cliff. I don't know how he must have felt staring into the hatred on the faces of the people he grew up with. But I do know how it felt when I had to leave my home church. I know I sobbed in the back pew. I know I stared at the pulpit, knowing I was never coming back. I know it tore my soul in half. After Jesus' neighbors tried to kill him, Jesus packs his backpack, walks to a nearby town, and starts to do the work. He becomes a community organizer. He starts a social movement. He doesn't look back. He dives headfirst into his calling. Jesus doesn't come home for a long time after that. And when he finally does come home for a family reunion, he doesn't expect his family to be on board with the revolution. 
I've often wondered how deeply Jesus was traumatized by all this. How his mother Mary felt watching her neighbors trying to kill her baby. Did Jesus miss Nazareth over the holiday seasons? Or was he happy to be anywhere else but home? He seems to spend most holidays after that with his friends and disciples. We don't know how Jesus and Mary felt. But we do know our own pain this holiday season. We know how we feel going home. We know how we feel talking about the revolution with the people who raised us. So this Christmas, if your family isn't down with the revolution, or they criticize you, or re-traumatize you, it's okay to create some distance. It's okay to protect your heart, to save your energy for the work you are doing in the world. We can make like Jesus and keep the revolution going with or without our biological families. Christ is coming again It happens every now and then When the faithful put their faith in men Oh, the Antichrist is coming again He will not be found in a lowly stall He resides in the darkness within us all With a heart Led by resentment and fear For God and country he claims to appear You will know him by his twisted words It's the opposite of holy verse Like scriptures uttered by the absurd, he'll infect the truth and spread the perverse. Blessed are the ones who win, losing is the greatest sin. So the losers deserve what's coming to them. Well, the Antichrist is at it again. Say to all who hunger and weep Go get in line with the rest of the weak And the poor can stand outside the door No handouts for them, they'll just beg for more The days will be filled with many a sign the chaos he sows, his work you'll divine. You will only be right if you're on his side. And his greatest power is to blame and divide. Then the Antichrist will assemble the choir, singing praises to a power higher. Will that would be him, the king of the liars Sing along, make it quick, cause his pants are on fire There's still a way to vanquish
vanquish the one who defiles the gospels and profanes the sun when you find the despised wounded on life's road pick them up help them heal and carry their load will the antichrist is coming again it happens every now and then when the faithful put their faith in men or oh, the antichrist is coming again Back in the day, we'd venture outside our hipster San Francisco neighborhood to meet up at the Embarcadero BART station for a quick trip to the East Bay. With cloudy heads and hopeful hearts, we'd ride the train to Berkeley on Sunday mornings to hear the preaching of Reverend Earl the Pearl Palmer at First Presbyterian Church. And by we, I mean a ragtag collection of fallen church kids who had somehow found each other in the Bay Area circa 1990. Our motley crew of aspiring writers, musicians, artists, and gamefully underemployed liberal arts grads would sit high in the balcony overlooking the congregation at First Pres, ignoring the announcements and humming through hymns with disinterest, waiting only for Earl's pearls of mainline Christian wisdom. After a healthy dose of church, we'd make our way to Fat Slice Pizza on Telegraph Avenue to share the day's first meal and a pitcher of beer. Longtime friend of House of Mercy and current professor of theology, Chris Bozel, would theatrically smack his lips and declare after the first sip, Ah, the sweetest beer of the week. We'd dissect Earl's sermon, and Chris would declare, after much contemplation, that Earl, once again, had come perilously close to preaching the gospel, but had again missed the mark. For years, I thought about Chris's take on the good Reverend Palmer, and I could never quite figure out what he meant. Earl's sermon sounded like every other pastor I'd heard during my 27 years of church attendance. What does it mean to come close to preaching the gospel? What even is the gospel? Over the years, I occasionally gave theology a thought, but mostly I was happy to jettison the guilt, piety, and self-righteousness I had developed due in no small part to my evangelical upbringing. But then, through House of Mercy, I found pastors who preached the gospel, the gospel Earl couldn't quite proclaim, the gospel of forgiveness. I am forgiven. You are forgiven. We are all forgiven. And maybe, just maybe, we should be grateful for it and act like it. That's it. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. It's so simple, yet so impossible. We can beat ourselves up for moral failings, feel pangs of guilt and remorse for past transgressions, or we can choose to live in the knowledge that it's okay. We are forgiven. The good news is a message of compassion. As we struggle through this dark holiday season, we'll need all the compassion we can get. When the world begins again, may we face our post-pandemic world with grace and mercy and the knowledge that we are forgiven.